0: I want to introduce Mi Mudam, who is certified as well as officiated as shaman priest in the indigenous Korean tradition of Mugyo in 2017 uh, from the, uh, and I'm not sure whether I'm pronouncing this correctly, Wancho lineage. Um, she was born in Seoul, Korea, and moved to the United States when she was about five years old. Living in the USA caused her to grow up with a markedly Western-centric point of view in terms of spirituality, such as practice with witchcraft. Her initiation into Mugyo, heavily shifted her lifestyle and practice to suit the Korean deities and her lineage is emphasized, uh, and her lineage emphasized traditional methods with adaptations to modernity to suit the Korean American diaspora. And so with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to you.
1: Hi guys. Uh, thank you all for being here. I'm very excited. Thank you for having me. And let's go ahead and get started. So let's do this. Okay, so Korean shamanism, the mudong's life. Um, there are a couple things things I just wanted to go over um, for the next 30 or so minutes. Um, so I just also wanted to kind of go over uh, really quickly. What is Mugyo? Um Mugyo is the English word for Korean shamanism in Korea. It's better known as musok. But if you try Googling musok, it doesn't quite bring up the same um, kind of results that may lead you to where you want to go. So if you do try to Google anything, Mugyo is the better known term. Um, It is an indigenous tradition to Korea, and there are some similarities to Siberian shamanism, which there was some... Um, historical points. I can't really cite it right now, but, um, there were some, uh, cross adaptations in between the two. And you can kind of see that in the images of certain ceremonies, such as, uh, dressing the trees. Um, you can see that in the similarities of the colors of the material and clothing that we use for our tree spirits. Um, the tradition itself is initiatory. So, that in itself means that it is technically a closed tradition but that doesn't mean that lay people are not able to practice mugyo it is just meaning that there are particular roles within the tradition that only those roles can perform and do um ritually ceremonial ceremonially speaking um what makes a mudang is one who gets vetted by another mudang within the tradition, and once that happens, they have to go through an initiation ceremony. This is usually um, a three to seven day long affair, and typically also probably a few months building up to it, just because of all the preparations that need to be done with uh, clothing and certain things that need to be ordered and made. So um, with a mudang, there are some people uh, who may call themselves a Korean shaman, but they are very uh, conscientious about not calling themselves a mudang. And this is because there is etiquette within our community about not calling yourself a mudang unless you've actually gone through the initiation ceremony. This is a very important distinction. Uh, without the initiation ceremony, they are not a mudang. Um, the initiation ceremony itself is a uh, it builds a base foundation for the mudong and that is the only way that we are able to receive our pantheon our gods and our spirits so that said um, some challenges facing Mugyo that I kind of wanted to go over is uh, accessibility to diaspora um, financial and methodology so with financial Native Korean mudongs will um, typically be a hyper traditional lineage. Hyper traditional lineage in native Korea typically charges anywhere from twenty thousand to sixty thousand plus US dollars for the initiation ceremony. Um, that becomes even more expensive out here for those of us who need to get initiated out in America or Canada, England, or what have you. Um, just because we would have to fly out there, um, have costs saved up for where we're staying and food and travel and all that stuff. Whereas um, if the initiation ceremony was more affordable, um, travel costs wouldn't amount to quite so much and it wouldn't affect so many things. Um, on top of that, there are a good chunk of portion of the initiation ceremony and various other ceremonies that, um, can be brought down in price to make it more accessible. But as far as I've seen within the community myself as a Mudong, there is certain areas that are very inflated due to their own reasoning. It really just depends on the Mudong and their own lineage. But, um, with my lineage, it is more important for us to make it viable for diaspora. And a lot of the diaspora who are um, called to become a mudong, they are not in a position financially in the first place to even dream about $20,000. So um, it is one of our goals to make it more accessible and affordable and realistic. Um, methodology, I am referring to the particular innate uh, rituals and ceremonies that are being taught to their initiates and apprentices. Um, because a lot of diaspora also are not fluent at all in Korean, this is a very, very difficult thing to overcome. Um, Those of us who are not fluent would, first of all, have to become fluent enough to even understand the written and spoken word that is being taught. And then on top of that, we would have to be able to sing and understand everything that's going on. Um, On top of everything else that we have to learn as a mudong, the dances, the chants, um, the ritual etiquette, how each ceremony is done, and there's... Thousands upon thousands of variations for everything, depending on the client's specific needs and their ancestors. Um, It's just very unrealistic to expect um, the diaspora mudang to be able to be fluent on top or learning to be fluent on top of learning everything else at the same time so my lineage also takes that into account where because I myself am not fluent and I've uh, undergone those difficulties firsthand um, I have figured logistically ways kind of um, bridging that gap um, and making it more accessible for other non fluent Koreans. Um, initiatory versus open, so that's something else that is kind of a challenge for Mugyo practitioners out here in the States. Um, I know that the Western-centric perspective views the initiatory traditions as something to be overcome, so they don't really see the boundary of a closed tradition as being necessary. They don't really understand why that is the way it is. Um, but the other side of it is that, you know, you don't have to be a mudang to practice Mugyo. You can be a lay person and practice Mugyo in a folk magic fashion and the lifestyle fashion, so they're very much intertwined, and that portion of it is very much open. Um, Anybody can worship Korean deities that they so choose. There's plenty of um, natural Korean deities like the mountain god um, that is open to anybody who is willing to travel to a mountain. Um, The initiatory aspect is really more so for the shaman priest role as a mudang. Um, Those of us who are initiated, we are trained and taught to perform the shaman priest role and it combines those two roles that's why it's uh, translated as such where we learn to become possessed by our gods and how to properly channel them and to officiate and guide ceremonies rituals and um, prayers so that is the only reason why it would be initiatory is for that particular role Um, So that's a, that's kind of an important distinction. And many people don't seem to realize that you don't have to be a mudong to even participate in the worship. Um, Gatekeeping on hyper-traditional lineages against diaspora. Mm, So this one is more, it's more of a um, difficult topic just because there are, Obviously, dependent on the person and the lineage themselves, um, there's a lot of different perspectives here. So I'm just speaking on my own perspective. Uh, gatekeeping with hyper traditional lineages against diaspora is something that is kind of prevalent in the English side of the community, um, especially if the hyper traditional mudang is fluent in Korean. And English, so there's a weird distinction here, um, where the Korean fluent mudong feels that um, if the to be apprentice cannot speak fluently, then they will have a very difficult time being a mudong in general, and which is a fair uh, and valid point of view. Um, But the other thing is that they will kind of hoard their knowledge and kind of keep that from the apprentice in order to block them off from moving forward in their practice. Um, This is not something that is openly spoken about. This is something that I've seen within the community as mudang. So it's kind of uh, one of those hidden world topics that probably no one had any idea was happening. Um, but that is something that I am trying to stop, at least within my lineage, is that I don't want that to happen for us and for mugio in general. Like, it's not conducive to its evolution and adaptability, which has been shown throughout history. Um, and it prevents a lot of... Um, growth with modern times um hyper-traditional lineages do have a time and place especially within native korea itself um given cultural assets to ceremonies and uh folk magic folk plays and folk uh, music um so the gatekeeping is really only particular hyper-traditional lineages you don't see it a lot but that is something that I am personally fighting against because diaspora do not control their situation that they were born in a lot of them um, were Koreans who were adopted out of Korea and raised in the states and it is not at all within their control or their fault that um, they were raised without culture, without the culture, without the language, and so without that connection that some hyper traditional mudongs will try to um, push back the against the diaspora to stay away from. Um, hyper traditional, semi traditional, and modern lineages. So I don't think very many people are even aware of these diverging lineages, and this is kind of a recent thing. With the, um, boom in social media and technology use, especially within Korea. Um, native mudongs used to never be on social media. Like they were entirely shared and their popularity known only about, um, through word of mouth. Like they were never, um, talked about online they were only ever given clients or referrals from clients of clients so with the boom in social media and technology this is kind of dying out now a lot of the older traditional mudongs are still very much um, old school like they don't use any social media you won't ever see them online but they will put out like newspaper ads for their local Korean community and then again there's that barrier where you know if you're in the Korean community but you aren't fluent in Korean you won't even know about their presence in the first place because you can't read Korean. (laughs) Um, So that is something else that kind of comes into play. So hyper-traditional lineages are the primary things that you'll see if you google mudangs um, grand ceremonies, kut ceremonies. Um, and that is the main image that people will kind of take away. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, hyper-traditional, like I said, those lineages have a strong um, reason to stay the way they are. And they are the way they are to prevent any new adaptability coming into those lineages, they're trying to keep those rituals and ceremonies the way, as close as they can be to how it was passed down um, over generations. Um, A semi-traditional typically takes the traditional aspects that still is usable in a modern American neighborhood and setting, um while bringing in modern themes and adapting it into the same traditions uh, methodologies and how we perform certain things so as an example you know very a lot of mudongs now um even native mudongs will still use the traditional divination method of reading colored flags but then on the other hand they will also use something modern like tarot cards um that was never a thing that we ever really used um back in the day you know um confucianism buddhism era uh those were never things that were ever seen so with the with the technology boom and um america coming into play you know we were introduced to things like tarot cards oracle cards and um a lot of mudongs uh use them sometimes now for their divinations um so that is just as an example of how semi-traditional has kind of evolved to continue to grow um, with modernity and adapting certain things that make it easier to practice within a kind of um, suburban environment. And modern lineages are, I don't know if I would necessarily call them neo- but i guess that might fit um modern lineages are mudongs who still are uh traditionally initiated right so even throughout all these different kind of lineages the same thing that makes a mudong will never change is that initiation ceremony how the initiation ceremony necessarily looks across the scope may differ a little bit but it'll still be recognized um across the community as an initiation ceremony so even with the modern lineages the mudong will have been um, gone through their initiation ceremony but for example they may have um, decided that their practice and their own lineage uh, is best suited to completely adapt to modern times and american uh Culture. And those kind of lineages typically kind of look like, uh, Mudongs who have their own, uh, let's say day job while also performing and practicing very eclectic looking rituals and eclectic looking shrines. Um, with Mudong shrines, the same kind of theme is across the board. At least with hyper-traditional and semi-traditional, you'll see a lot of the same kind of items, such as huge uh multicolored flags. Um, you'll see a particular painted fan with our gods on it, and uh, you know, like Korean children's shoes. Um but with modern lineages those shrines will look very very different they won't have those items those items are typically very common for us because that's what they um, that's what we receive in our initiation ceremony Um, modern lineages won't necessarily employ those or use them they may keep them in a on the side wall somewhere but they won't be using that space as their main shrine, if that makes sense. Um, modern lineages also seem to be more prone to um, having shrines for multiple pantheons, whereas hyper-traditional and semi-traditional mudangs, our shrines are focused entirely on Korean deities. Uh, modern lineages will even have a shrine to um, Hindu deities besides korean deities um it won't be focused on our single pantheon it'll be focused on many pantheons um, so that's it's very unique um and definitely newer in in terms of time and evolution um there was recently an article that i posted on my instagram about one such mudang she was uh traditionally initiated so she went through her initiation ceremony but she actually kept up a shrine to um i believe it's it's a hindu goddess kali um and it was it was very unique you don't really ever see uh, mudongs have non-korean shrines so that was um very interesting so my experiences with outreach um Diaspora accessibility to Mugyo, at least the layperson aspects, has been very weak and unheard of. Um, uh, very many Koreans have come to me, like diaspora, have come to me, and they're always very inquisitive and curious about how they can actually connect and practice. Um, they don't want to step on any toes by necessarily copying what they see I do because they know that I'm a mudang. So they are always very lost about what they can even do. Um Mugil, as I mentioned earlier, uh has open channels. It has open aspects, particularly for lay people to worship. Um, the ritualistic practice of uh giving offerings and enshrining our house gods, um, that is very much a layperson open to lay people kind of practice um and they also have the ability to perform their own folk magic and korean folk magic is never talked about um it is very much open if people learn from a practicing korean and it is very uh as far as I've seen it is fairly similar to hoodoo just obviously more local to our um our country's herbs and foods um people who need grant ceremonies cannot pay 20,000 US dollars and up and I have mentioned this in the last slide but um Grand ceremonies are very, very expensive. Uh, easily the cost of a used car and hardly any people who have the calling to become a mudang cannot put out that kind of financial output. Um, it's very, very rare that a mudang, um, is in such a good, blessed place where they are vetted and they find out they have to be a mudang and they have plenty left in their savings and then some and they go through with the initiation ceremony without any worry about their financial future. Um, most people who are, who have that calling are in a uh, lower or poverty level financial class. And, um, semi traditional lineages and modern lineages are the primary ones who seem to focus on making this aspect uh realistic and affordable for the people who need it um in korea it's not so much a thing because it's mostly hyper-traditional lineages there and it was very common for people who find out that they need to have the ceremony done Uh they do not have the money so they take out a very large loan from a bank or um or borrowing from all of their family and friends in order to even afford it. Um, There are plenty of horror stories about people who became initiated and um, did not have any way to pay off the loans and just kept sinking deeper into debt. Um, That is not something that I want for the future of this tradition, especially for those of us in the diaspora. And that is something that needs to be fought against. Um, a lot of hyper traditional aspects are hard to keep under certain budgets due to costs of import of goods, uh, especially with those of us in, um, not Korea, basically overseas. It is very expensive. There are a lot of costs going into shipping and handling alone. So just because, um, I think that's why modern lineages will opt to do their ceremonies and rituals completely uh, or almost entirely without any traditional aspect because of how much of the import costs are. And a lot of those items are things that cannot be uh, found out here in the States. Um, I'm sure some ritual items are things that we can uh, make here or adapt to things that are made here locally, but the overall consensus is it's best to get it imported, um, especially if you can't travel there to get your ceremony done. Um, semi-traditional lineages are focused on making ceremonies and rituals more easily affordable. Um, it is more about the client and what they can put forward rather than just holding this lofty price over their head and saying, "Well." We'll just have to figure it out. Um, We are more focused on having the items around and importing what we can and uh, helping the client rather than trying to import every single thing, um, some things that may not even be entirely necessary to the ceremony itself um, in order to get it done. Still, a lot of Korean people will shrug off the tradition as being an embarrassing superstition. This is not, uh, something that will change very quickly, uh, as far as I've experienced. Even, even when I was, uh, putting out a crowd fundraiser, um, about my initiation ceremony, I have had Korean people tell me that they think I was being crazy. <laughs> for, um, even going through with it because they felt like it was, um, either fake, uh, the ceremony itself, the tradition itself was fake, or that I was ludicrous to even think about putting forward that much money for something that is, um, non-material, essentially. Like it was, it was a service that I can't necessarily place a value on easily. And that's something that Koreans don't quite, um, feel is worth the costs. Um, so it is, it is more common for native Korean people to still think that it is something that, um, is not taken seriously. Um, I feel with the newer and younger generation, this is changing, but it is changing very, very slowly. And uh lastly, the hopes for the tradition, or at least my hopes for the tradition, is for proper accessibility for low-income people and disabled people um, who need to be initiated actually be able to do so. Um, I have come across mudongs who refused uh, apprentices who needed to be initiated because they either could not do certain physical actions, um, usually deemed necessary for worship, or um, they will quote what the ceremony costs are and um, kind of just keep that person on a line um, throughout years and years and maybe get monthly payments from them or something of the sort, um, even though they will take a very very long time to even reach the costs um these things are really really important for diaspora to be able to do to connect to their ancestors and their spirits Um, So I feel that focus on making it accessible for low income people and people who may not be able to do these kind of physical actions is very important and more focus should be shown on those guys. Um, Big public temples and as an example, the Shinto temples across the United States is something that I really hope can happen for Mubio at some point. Um, I don't know if it'll necessarily happen the very same way, just because Shinto is recognized as an organized religion and Mugyo is nowhere near such a thing here. Um, it is recognized in Korea, but it is recognized more so as a religious business than, um, a religious organization. So, um, I don't really see that happening, um, here in the States. But maybe something like a um, larger building on a private property that could be open to visitors is more realistic and something I would certainly hope I could one day end up doing. Um, And more widespread resources for Koreans looking to reconnect with their indigenous roots and Mugyo lifestyle. Uh, I am working on that personally. Just because it is something that I've struggled with for some time as a younger Korean living in America and growing up here. Um, and I know a couple other uh, Korean people are also doing their own angle um, helping that that aspect as well. Um, I know one of them is uh, getting into the swing of opening up a mystery school focused on um, the open aspects of Mugyo. So that is really, really awesome. And I have um, the Korean Diaspora Worshippers Association, which is not really uh an official non-profit organization or anything like that, but I would love to look into that in the future. And I have the Facebook group uh, Way of Moo, which helps Korean people, Korean diaspora, kind of find more focus into bringing um, Korean folk magic and Mugil lifestyles into their daily lives and making the festivals, uh, holidays, and worship of local deities more accessible to them as well um and that um was everything that i had for you guys so i appreciate um the time and energy of everyone being here thank you so much
0: oh thank you so much uh that 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 was that that was an extraordinarily rich presentation and uh uh, a lot of exciting themes that um, I, I think we're going to want to discuss when we uh, get into questions. Um, but I do want to move on to uh, the next presentation, so we just try to get all the presentations down, and then then we can really have a good in depth discussion. But uh, I think uh, you know I just want to I just want to say that you know I I, I uh, you really nailed it in terms of of uh, the theme of this conference and and the kind of practical evaluation of the issues facing your tradition going forward. And, um, you know, I, I very much hope that uh, you'll continue to uh, to work in cooperation with my center, because the, some of the kind of goals that you have, you know. Um, we'd really like uh you know it, it, where possible we we'd like to be a, a facilitator in that because um I, I think that uh i i can see a lot of points at which um uh there's there's a lot of of cooperation that that could go on there